gentlemen fanatics of all ages welcome to another episode of philly's therapy where we come to you from the evening of july 24th 2022 in the wake of the phillies first series out of the all-star break against the chicago cubs a team that is only six years removed from a world series title but found themselves 20 games under 500 entering today 22 games under 500 entering the weekend series if you're keeping track and by the end of the day sunday they were only 19 games under 500 after sweeping the phillies and (laughs) did more math for you uh at the end of their weekend series leaving the phillies at 49 and 46 and trailing St. Louis for the third and final wildcard spot in the National League. It was not great, uh, basically in any aspect, except maybe for Zach Wheeler and a couple other blips of very brief flash-in-the-pan highlights here and there. It was a bit of a waste of some good crowds. I happened to be at the stadium on Saturday. The atmosphere was fantastic, um, at least until extra innings. More on that a little bit later. Uh, but either case, the, the Phillies came out flat out of the all-star break they are uh starting to show some cracks and things around the team are are getting a little dicey to boot uh to put it lightly things are just not hunky-dory we are uh seeing some tension and fissures emerge with uh locker room conversations more on that in a second too Uh, and in general things just look like they could use a little bit of stabilizing but (laughs) the good news there uh, is that for those of us who are looking for a little bit of stabilization in the immediate future, uh, have to face the Atlanta Braves for a three-game set. The only positive there being that the Phillies get them at home for whatever that's worth to you. Uh, this is a big series, even though the Phillies trailed the Braves by a lot, and they are not coming into it in tip-top shape. And We need to talk through everything that just happened this weekend and everything that's coming up. And to do that with me is the Athletic Philadelphia's Matt Gell. Matt, how are you? Did you did you and your dad stay for the uh, Jake Owen postgame concert? We did not stay for the Jake Owen postgame concert, although I heard it was a good time. Um, I, I'm not a country guy, so like I honestly don't know Jake Owen, but like uh, apparently it was a big deal, and like that was uh, a pretty big get for them. Yeah, honestly, I'm 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 happy when teams can bring in postgame concerts like that, even if it's just to draw a couple extra people in for the game. I I feel like even if that was a huge pull for why so many people were at the stadium on Saturday. And that's probably not the biggest reason. I mean, it's a weekend night game. The Cubs fan base travels. Well, the team was, there were a lot of Cubs fans. Yeah, there were a lot of Cubs fans. The team, despite, you know, falling flat on Friday was, you know, still kind of relevant and they are still relevant. They just, they hadn't fallen quite as flat on their face at the start of Saturday's game as they have now by Sunday night. Uh, No, but I did not stay for the Jake Owen post-game concert. Uh, We, we packed up, uh, I was there with my family. We packed up shortly after the E5 in extra innings, put that game comfortably out of reach. Unfortunately. Mm. Yeah, it was not great. Matt, um, getting swept by the Cubs, the 2022 version of the Cubs, uh, not great at any time of the year, but especially not in the first series coming out of the All-Star break when the Phillies entered the break on a bit of a roll, finally sweeping the Marlins. 
uh, yeah, what I, happened I, this weekend? I think, yeah, but I, I think, and it's funny because after uh, today's game, uh, the, the finale on Sunday, Kyle Schwarber was, you know, is a great conversation with him. And he's like, look, this is like a three-game narrative right now. It's not an indication of us as a group. Yeah. And I agree with him. But uh, it's also worth pointing out that in their last 14 games now, they've scored 43 runs. That's three runs a game. Yeah, it's not great. And we're not talking about something that's just kind of been popping up here. I mean, let's remember earlier this month, why were they winning games is because they were just pitching out of their minds. Pitching was amazing. Yeah. I mean, you know, shutouts in seven out of uh, 15 games uh, before the break. And, and that's, uh, that's an unbelievable pace. So this is something that I think has kind of been boiling to, to a head. And, and I think we saw it in a really ugly way uh, against a bad Cubs team. And, and I don't know if it's as simple as, as Schwarber goes, the lineup goes, but I kind of think that's what it is right now. And if you look at Schwarber, his last uh, 54 plate appearances, he has a 130 on base percentage. Mm. He's got 22 strikeouts and three walks in his last 54 plate appearances. Which would help explain why he was bumped from the leadoff spot, at least in part, for Sunday's game, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, they they felt like Rob Thompson uh, has not been uh, you know, tinkering with the lineup very often, uh, and that's something that he you know, said early on, he's, he's not going to do. And I, I think that was a, a clear divergence from his predecessor. And uh, he though finally felt that it was something they had to do. Uh, and that involved, included moving Nick Castellanos out of the three spot, which is where he had been uh, every game since Bryce Harper broke his thumb and he moved him to five and they moved Schwarber down to two and had Veerling at the top. And, and that's going to change, but you know, they're going to face another lefty, uh, Max Freed, of course, on Monday, and then they're going to get Spencer Strider on Tuesday, and then Charlie mm-hmm. Morton on Wednesday. So a lefty and two righties, and uh, you know three very good pitchers to the Braves. The Braves are playing uh, remarkable baseball right now. They they did, uh, you know, Phillies Phillies killer at, uh, Adam Duvall is out for the year. Uh, Saw that yeah. suffered a wrist injury, so mm-hmm. uh, there's that at least, but. Uh, this is a this is an interesting stretch here, and and, and I know that they want to wait uh, until you know they get closer to the deadline to make moves. Uh, but the Phillies, you mean? Yeah, but there's yeah. five games against the Braves between now and the trade deadline, and like right. those games what? matter just as much as you know the games after the deadline. <laughs> uh, oh, of I course. Mean, I, I I don't know. I mean, like I I don't want to say that like you give up on them trying to catch the Braves, but. Uh, you, you get to a point soon where uh, you feel like that's kind of out of reach, right? Where you feel like you're probably looking more at, you know, the five or six seed in, in the national league. And, and, you know, so be it like that. I think most Phillies fans would be really happy with that. So I would take uh, that. Yes. <laughs> so, you know. Uh, you know, five games though, between now and the deadline against the Braves. And, and, and I think, uh, it's really interesting to see how this team responds, you know, like they, they got, they had the little initial bump after Harper goes down. They really, you know, did better than treading water. It's remarkable what they did. Yep. They did. Uh, Mm -hmm. But as you said, Paul, I think some of the cracks are showing and, and, and I I still think this is a good team, but uh, we keep saying it guys need to step up and, and it's really, it's past due. And and now I think those, those guys really got to kind of make or break here. Well, and and here's where things are starting to get a little tense, right? Because we as fans can start to sense that, okay, yes, this team's sort of Cinderella-ish run over the last five, six weeks, we might be approaching midnight a little bit here. The the cracks are showing. It's pretty evident that 
some guys were playing a little bit above their head, especially on the offensive side. Um, as much as I like some of these guys, I, it's, and the it's bullpen, either no offense. Well, right? sure, I mean, sure. And the bullpen. Too. No offense. Like these guys, like, yeah, I mean, they've been tremendous, mm-hmm. but you got to expect some regression there. We saw a little bit with Alvarado and, you know, like yeah. his def- defense did no favors, but yeah, I mean, there's going to be some regression here. Right. I mean, these guys are either, they were either playing over their heads and just not, quite that good as they've been to begin with or they're in a cold streak you know they're either a talented hitter who's entered a cold streak and i think all of that ire right now is concentrated on one particular person everybody else (laughs) is sort of off to the side at the moment everything is focused right now for multiple reasons on nick castellanos who um has again has not had a good season i keep i keep wanting to hold off on you know criticizing his season too much given his most recent track record thing. Oh no, the, the breakout's coming. The breakout's coming. He's going to snap out of it any day. The longer this goes on, the the harder it is for me to say that. But apart from play on the field, which again was not great. He did not have a great series. Um, it, it spilled over. It spilled over into the locker room after the game on Saturday night where a, a rather widely spread exchange between Castellanos and NBC Sports Philadelphia's Jim Salisbury, who's obviously an you know, a longtime veteran of the beat, esteemed writer holds a lot of um, a lot of positive reputation from fans. And, you know, you're a colleague of his. You, you understand like this is this guy's an institution in Philadelphia. Uh, there was a, an exchange between the two of them uh, at Castellanos's locker following Saturday's game that focused on asking whether Castellanos had heard uh, booze that had been trickling out from the crowd after uh, his performance. He had couple of strikeouts, I believe. It, it, I was at the game, wasn't really <laughs> looking at the box score live. I don't remember his exact <laughs> number. It, it, it just, it, it wasn't great to be a part of. Either. Oh, for five. You, you, oh, there you go. Oh, you oh, you, could, feel, strikeout. you yeah. could feel like there was something, there was something in the air with the crowd when he stepped up that people were just nervous. I was nervous. I, I, I want this guy to snap out of it because while Harper is out, while Segura continues to be out, um, and, and Schwarber now falls into the bucket a little bit like this is a, you want the lineup to have more than one and a half major league hitters at a given time. And right now they're just they're not doing much. Anyway, I'm dancing around the point. Castellanos and Jim Salisbury uh, had a bit of a tense exchange in the locker room where Salisbury asked Castellanos following the game if he had heard the booze. And this is this is removing a bit of context. We're just giving you the the highlights here. Uh, Salisbury asked Castellanos if he had heard the booze coming from the crowd. Castellanos responded in a bit of deadpan, but in in a way that really kind of conveyed that he wasn't too happy with the question. Um, well, he called it directly a stupid question. Uh, then he asked the rest of the pool of reporters if anybody could, quote, help him out with that. I believe that's... Um, <laughs> look, b- before I get too deep into this, and you can be the expert on this, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you because you've been in these pools. I'm not just going to like read back quotes because I think that removes a lot of context from this exchange and a lot of what was going on, um, especially with the video that made its way around uh, the internet. Was there something about that exchange or were there multiple things about that exchange that either could have been handled differently or are there things that we from the outside are misreading or not looking at correctly because something just doesn't feel right both about um this particular exchange coming out 
because I feel like this isn't really all that uncommon, especially as guys slump. You know, you you probably have to ask guys what it feels like to be hitting like crap all the time. Uh, but also that it, it, it seemed like part of this leaked over into time when everybody thought the interviews were over. I'm just going to take a step back because as a fan, something about it rubbed me the wrong way. And I've gone back and forth on my own personal reactions to this and what I really think about. It. And I've tried to avoid being too reactionary about anything like this because it could be so sensitive. What did we see in that interaction between Salisbury and Castellanos? What actually happened there and what didn't we see that could help explain a little bit more what exactly transpired? So I, I was the same way as you. I didn't want to be reactionary because I wasn't there Saturday. Uh, I took mm. Saturday off uh, to spend some time with family and I didn't, I, I needed to see the full video of the interview before I said anything. And honestly, my takeaway after watching the full video is the same as my takeaway was before it is that I think both could have handled it better. And I think if you were to ask both, they probably would say they could have handled it better. But the biggest issue was that what you saw online was not representative of what happened. I mean, not even close. And that's the issue I have. And I'm really, I was really disappointed about it. And Jamie Pody from Channel 6 here in Philly was the one who tweeted the video that was edited, heavily edited, uh, to make it honestly look more sensationalized than it really was. And Paul, like, I can't tell you, like, how many times something like this happens. And, like, it's not comfortable because. I'm fully aware that like people like me and people like Jim Salisbury, and he would probably appreciate me calling him this. Like we are pieces of shit. Like, <laughs> I, I'm fully aware of that. Like I go into a clubhouse after a game and obviously my, my best work and a lot of my work is done before games. Uh -huh. You know, I get time to interact with players and coaches and, you know, work on different stories and ideas. But after games, especially after losses, it's tough. Like you're going in there and you're going to ask a guy to his face, like you just made a mistake or you just had a bad game you know, what, why or how, like what happened? And like, could you imagine having a bad day at work when, or a bad day as a parent and somebody's coming up to you with a recorder in your face or a camera in your face and saying, what did you do wrong? Why'd you do that? Like what happened? Like, yeah, it's going to be contentious sometimes. And I can't tell you how many times it is contentious like this and it's settled. And like, it's settled in, in, in a way that it's difficult for me to describe unless you you've worked inside of clubhouse and worked, you know, a beat where you see these guys for, for six, seven months out of the year. Like you just, you, you show up the next day and you resolve it or you resolve it after everyone walks away. And maybe that was the mistake here is that it wasn't resolved until uh, another 15 seconds because most of the TV cameras had turned off or started to turn off their cameras when, uh, Castiano says something to Salisbury and says, uh, you know, he says again, it was, that was a stupid question. And, that, and that's when Jim kind of goes back at him and probably shouldn't have done that. Definitely shouldn't have done that. There was a way to handle this that didn't involve a confrontation like that. But again, my biggest problem with this ball is that uh, what people saw online was not, was not representative of the conversation because believe it or not, I, the parts that were cut out, the entire interview that was cut out, like, the reason why Jim Salisbury asked that question is because he he knows that Nick Castellanos heard the booze, but that's a soft way to get into the conversation, the bigger conversation about playing with the kind of pressure and, and the kind of weight that Nick Castellanos has clearly been playing with. Like you just described, Paul, this perfect 
analogy. Like you, you, it's almost this nervous energy you felt in the ballpark when Castellanos comes up. He's a professional. Like he's supposed to eliminate that. But can you even imagine like if everyone in the ballpark is feeling that? Like, what do you think he's feeling like right now? Like he knows he, he's been through this. Like he knows that he needs to step up. He knows that he's had a disappointing season. He knows the contract that he signed. He knows that people are upset. Like that that's tough. That sucks. And I understand why he got upset. But the reason why Jim was asking is because he wants the player in his own words to describe what that feeling is like right now. You know, what it's like playing in a little bit of pressure and uh, what it's like playing with the contract that he has, because really he hasn't he hasn't had this experience before. He's played in Chicago for a little bit, but uh, not with the kind of expectations I think that he came in here with. And, and honestly, the parts that were edited out of the interview, like he started to talk about what it was, what it's like, what it's been like comparing it to other spots like Cincinnati and, you know, talking about how he just moves on from it, you know, his process of moving on from it and his mental state. Like he got the answers that he needed. And it's funny if you read Jim's story, he doesn't even mention <laughs> the the interaction at all because it, it wasn't part of the story. Quite frankly, this was not a story. This wasn't a story unless Jamie Pody tweets out an edited video that was designed to get clicks and she got it and it blows up. And I think what everyone is seeing is kind of how the reporter athlete relationship works. Like it's not always pretty and like it's not supposed to always be pretty because it's our job to ask difficult questions sometimes. And are those questions going to sound stupid or might they be uh, sound offensive at times? I guess. Yes. Like I ask stupid questions all the time. Most of my questions are really stupid, but it's because I'm asking the experts to put it in their words. Like what is happening or why something is happening. A guy gets a walk off home run and you're like, what are you supposed to like? How did that feel? Or what was that like? Like, that's a stupid question. It's, you know, but you want to hear him talk about, you know, what that moment was like. And have we asked Nick Castellanos time and time again about what adjustments are you trying to make? What are you, you know, what is the problem? What are the problems? Yes. And honestly, he, what I appreciate about Nick is that he doesn't have time for, for stupid questions is that if you do come at him with a good question, like he will give you a thoughtful answer. I've appreciated Mm -hmm. that. Uh, But he's also made it clear that he, he doesn't like to talk about his craft. He really doesn't. He keeps saying, I'm a feel guy. I don't talk about mechanics. I don't think about mechanics. I'm a feel guy. I know when it feels right. And so like that's what makes hard. It makes it, you know, pulling and extracting details difficult uh, when you have a guy like that. And I, I, I wish, I wish that that clip wasn't, wasn't tweeted out. And maybe, maybe people are going to crush me for that, but because I, I, I can't tell you how many times an exchange like that happened. And it, it it doesn't always reach that level where like a, a, a Phillies PR representative kind of has to step in. Not that they were going to come to blows because they weren't. No. But there are disagreements like this all the time. It's just part of, of that sticky relationship of walking in there. And honestly, like I, I, I wish I would have been there Saturday night. I feel really guilty about not being there because if anything, I would have hopefully have tried to diffuse, you know, whatever, whatever was happening when, when Castellanos looks around and, you know, nobody – was really willing to kind of step up there. And I'm not even on Jim's side here. Like, I think Jim messed up. <laughs> I do. I think Nick messed up. I think they both messed up. I think the bigger mess up was posting an edited clip that did not represent what happened. And, and it caught fire. And I understand why. But, I mean, I don't know. I I have so many problems with what was tweeted out, the clip. And I, I also have a problem with NBC Sports Philadelphia not 
tweeting out the the full interview, which they have. They have they their cameraman was there. And Paul, you and I, I I've watched it and I sent it to you, and you, you got to watch it a little bit. I have, like, yes. What 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 changed after you watched the full the full video? Well, okay. So I thanks first of all for for summarizing it. I, I mean, I do think just to clear the air a little bit here, I I, I think the the could have done things better spills over a little bit, and and maybe this is unfair for me to to pick on things from from the outside, but. Um, I think Jamie Pody probably could have added a little bit of context or somebody from the network could have added a little bit of context that, Hey, this is edited. And this is what happened after cameras were off because that, that goes against some sort of, you know, locker room ethics, right? Like the cameras happened to still be on, but it was, it, it was apparent to me watching the unedited video that the scrum was breaking up. This was a postscript and probably never should have made it to any kind of recorded material. And in, in some way it got lucky and that probably should have been clarified. I also think you came in a little hot when you, when you when you said that the handling of this was a disgrace, that that, that probably could have been walked back a little bit. Um, but at the same time, I get where you're coming from. That there are ways that you go about your business with players in the locker room. That there are things that we as fans and sometimes as uh, fellow journalists, if they're working in a different form of media or not somebody who is in the locker room as frequently, that there are ins and outs to this that we do not see and or do not understand. Fully get that. Look, I I come from a very light journalistic background. I spent time working for Major League Baseball's publication system. I wrote for the <laughs> Scranton Times Tribune while I was in college. Just that. That's good I stuff. mean, well, look, like That's I where you learn. Like, yes, exactly. Like I I'm saying that to say I have a very light sprinkling of kind of figuring out what it's like to be in a locker room. My very first professional baseball interview was Robinson Cano in 2011. I was in the Yankees locker room. Okay. I talked to him for a future story. I, I got the lowdown from the, the people I worked with of, you know, what to do and not to do in the locker room. You know, if somebody is by their locker, they probably want to talk. If they're playing cards or at a table in the middle, like don't, don't bother anybody. Don't step on the low, like the little things like that. And you can kind of get a sense of that if you follow the sport enough. But there are things like this where these sort of exchanges or the phrasing of these questions, because we're not reading verbatim transcripts in stories after they're published. It's just, it's not the way it works. Everybody would be bored to death, except for, you know, these rare cases where something spills over. And even then the typed word can't can like, it can't capture the tone of the voice that was used in both cases here. I also continue to agree with you that I think, you know, maybe both Salisbury and Castellanos could have handled that exchange differently. Okay, fine. Again, I'm not in there. I'm not in there every day. I don't have that relationship with the players. I am not writing these stories. I'm not asking these questions. What I see happening here is a breaking of the fourth wall and why I think a lot of fans are getting um, angry and, and feeling um, th there are two very clear sides. I, I don't think there's a lot of bleed over. There, there are two very clear sides of people who think that was a stupid question and Jim Salisbury provoked him. And people who think Castellanos was wrong to respond the way he did. They're, they're, that's just, you know, hey, fine, whatever. I'm bleeding um, over because I think both were wrong. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Um, that, yeah, so that's fair. And I, and I think I'm coming to that point too. You don't get that initially. You see that and you're like, oh, one of these people has to be wrong. But anyway, I, what I see here is the breaking of a fourth wall. If this had happened without getting... And it did, you know, that's the world we live in. And we have recording devices mounted on everything on the tips of pencils. Um, if this had not been recorded, no one would have ever known about it. 
if it was not posted, no one would ever have known about it. It, it is interesting to see this happen and I get why it was posted. But the fact that it engages us on the fan base side, that we get to look into this locker room exchange, all of a sudden we feel involved. We feel like we are now part of what is happening in that locker room discussion. And we feel as though it's important to us to really be part of this. I can't really even call it a debate because I don't think that's what it is. But now we're involved, right? And this is a thing, especially with Philadelphia, this is sticky. And this is going to hang around for a little while. How long exactly? I don't know. But it's going to hang around for a little while. It would help if Castellanos got hot at the plate immediately, and then we could start using it as, as a turning point rather than, oh, gee, look what the Phillies are doing to themselves again. But I see this as really unfortunate because it's just spiraled and grown and snowballed into this thing that it never should have been. Yeah, but I think, Paul, I think it's done. Like it's I would done. like it to be this done. Is, I, I no, consider this it is, done. This is, this is, this is done. And like, I know I shouldn't have said certain things I said to Jamie on Twitter, but like, I, I'm, I'm steadfast in how I feel about this. Like it, it was grossly misedited and, and, and presented as such. And I honestly, like when I saw the first clip, I, I did not realize it was edited. And like, my takeaway was like, it I, is kind I, of like I a soft back. fade. And yeah, I was like, between cuts. I was like, honestly, my first reaction was Jim, what the hell are you doing? Like not any, you know. You can do that to a lot, you know. There's he has relationships. We have I have relationships with certain guys like that. That guy, you know, Castellanos. He he's he can be tough sometimes. Like that's the, kind of the game he plays, and that's fine. Like I, like I said, I'm willing to play that game with him. Mm-hmm. But like my initial takeaway was like, Jim, what are you doing? And then again, I I, I needed I wanted to see the whole video because I was told there was more to it, and I said that's fine. And even after watching the whole video again, I still think that both were in the wrong. But I think that what people have seen. It is totally not representative of how it happened. It's not, and and, and like you said, the very end where it escalates, uh, the interview was ended, and it was over. And there are instances where this has happened uh, quite a bit. Okay, and I, I when you're saying the fans are part of it, like that's that's great. Like uh, the way I view my job, Paul, is like I'm asking these questions because like I want to be like. I'm trying to figure out what fans want to know. Like I want to, I'm trying to sure. figure out what do they want to hear about their team? What do they want to know about what happened in this game? Mm-hmm. What do they want to know about what's going to happen with the roster or with, you know, whatever. And part of that right now is trying to figure out, you know, what is going through Nick Castellanos's head. And, and clearly the Phillies are wondering the same thing because not less, you know, not 24 hours after this whole exchange, Nick Castellanos is batting fifth. Right. And, and in, and the manager before the game is saying, I'm doing it just to take a little bit of pressure off of him against the but lefty like, with Derek Hall lefty, in the fourth spot. Yeah, against exactly yes. So <laughs> Jim was cutting to uh, a very important theme that is happening right now around this team, and specifically with Castellanos. Did he get there in the right way? No, I don't. I don't think so. I think it could have been handled better. I do, but I think people. Uh, their perception of what happened is totally uh, misconstrued because of that clip that they saw. And I think it was entirely irresponsible to edit it and post it the way that it was posted. 
Okay. Well, with this sloppy series behind us, <laughs> and even look, thanks yeah, so, for letting me in my soapbox. And I know, yeah, there's a lot yeah, of people who are angry at me, and that's fine. Uh, but I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna step down off this because, hmm. uh, there's just, there's just, there's just a, a code, and like I, I think there was like a, a real violation here. There was a, a real violation, and it, 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 everybody can do better. That's all. Everybody, gotcha. everybody included. Everybody. Oh. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, as gently as we can, we'll try and transition off of that and think ahead to the week and change that lies before us before next Tuesday's trade deadline. It's August 2nd this year. Do you happen to remember what time? Is it three o'clock in the afternoon, Eastern time? Is the deadline four o'clock, five o'clock? Uh, it sometime. is before the games. Yeah, yeah. I think they, you know, they changed it all a lot, Paul, because it's August 2nd this year. It's right. not. It's not even like August 1st, which is weird to me because the 2nd is a, it's a Tuesday. Tuesday. Anyway, it's Tuesday, August 2nd. <laughs> uh, the trade deadline. Sometime in the afternoon. Yeah, so yeah. Um, 6 we'll, we'll, p.m. Eastern. 6 p.m. Okay, great. So okay, 6 p.m. Eastern. I thought it was earlier than that. I thought it was too. Well, everything's different. Uh, 6 p.m. Eastern, Tuesday, August 2nd, trade deadline. Phillies have a lot of work to do. And now as we get closer, and we, Lord knows, we've, t- we've thought this was, you know, going to take four or five different shapes i think by this point because it's week to week it's really hard to judge what this team is prioritizing what they should prioritize because a different thing emerges either as a semi or full-fledged strength one week and then something else crumbles behind it and i i I don't know i don't know what's first in line these days the phillies do not have unlimited resources in terms of talent to give up they are not going to be players for juan soto they are not going to be players for luis castillo uh, they're not going to be in on the big fish at all, at least as far as I can see. And I think that extends down to someone we were talking about. Off I don't air, think Tyler, there's a Tyler lot of Malley. big. Yeah. And there's just, there's yeah. not a lot of big fish, right? No, no. I mean, think about outside of Soto. Uh, no. no. How about position player wise? Like other than Soto, like who are the big fish? Who's getting moved like this in the next 10 days? Well, yeah, it's a lot of role players, right? Because you look at the teams that are out of contention and you think about... Like Ian what... Happ, Wilson Contreras. Wilson well, Contreras is going to be a huge pickup. Wilson Contreras is a nice player. Phillies, but... Happ is a nice player. Happ could be a potential fit, again, because this team doesn't really care too much about defense if they want to plug him into center field. Uh, apart from that, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, there are a couple of role-playing pitchers on the Royals and a couple of part-time bats on the reds and there's just little stuff sprinkled here and there and nothing that gets you too excited if you're a team that's out of the soto sweepstakes and right now that looks like either one of the the super big market teams or maybe the cardinals or maybe watch san diego watch san diego maybe a sleeper like watch the guardians you know there's that going on but the phillies aren't going to be part of that they're going to be players for this is what i mentioned a week or two ago the clintac approach of you know blunderbussing it and trying to address multiple needs this is how i see how i see it these days um again check with me next week maybe it's different uh (laughs) blunderbussing it and trying minor moves from multiple positions because it on a given day they could use one or two starting pitchers they could use another reliever ideally left-handed they could use a center fielder they could use some kind of infielder i take your pick on combination of what position they play it it's still a mess nothing is really resolved right now and again, you don't have an infinite talent pool. We've talked about Logan O'Hoppy probably going somewhere, but to where and for who? There are Not other players. 
yeah, I mean, you're not going to be dealing the big chips because this is not an all-in team, clearly. So you're not going to be dealing Painter or Abel or McGarry, probably, you hope. And it's just going to be a bunch of hole plugging with thumbs in the dam and just hoping that that works because this isn't a team that you can really push your chips into the middle on. I, am I reading that wrong? No, you're right. I'm looking at the minor league box scores and Frankie Morales only threw six pitches today. He only didn't get, he only faced one batter. That's not good. To end an inning? No. Okay. He didn't get walk down. He hitter? walked a guy on six okay. pitches and did <laughs> not, right. and then came out of the game. So that's not good. I have to check on that. Okay. Uh, when, when do you think Odubel Herrera's last extra base hit was? Extra base hit? Yes. Good question. Um, I am going to say July 13th. Did they have a game that day? I'm going to say July 13th. June 9th. Excuse me? That was his last extra base hit, and that's a span of 74 plate appearances. So he hasn't been playing that much, but that's a long time. That's six June weeks ago. Yes, that was Hang his last on. extra base hit. No, yes, really? I am. I am not shitting you. Jesus Christ. So okay, so they they they're looking for a left-handed hitting outfielder. Uh, I can tell you that much. I, I I don't think that my priority has my list of priorities has changed. Like they they need a starting pitcher above all else, and I understand that the mm. the options are not great. And, and I ran down a few that I had heard and a few interesting kind of ideas in, in a story about the athletic over the weekend. And, you know, Noah Syndergaard is a guy that we haven't really talked about here. Uh, he, he's, he's pitched, he's pitched with extra rest on every single start this year, like, like extra, extra rest. Like he's gotten six days between every start and that's because of the Otani really? situation, but they also okay. promised that to Syndergaard early on. They told him he would get, uh, you know, maybe just one start a week basically. And uh, he's been okay. Like he's his okay. velocity's gone up as the season's gone on. Obviously, he's getting further and further away from the surgery. Sure, uh, he's interesting. Uh, he's always got big market experience. Like he's you know he's a big personality. Like uh, yeah. he he would certainly fit in here. I think uh, Angels are going nowhere and definitely trading uh, pieces. Uh, but you know, I, I I think after what we saw from Falter, like he should have given up uh, uh, more than four runs to to a, a really bad. Cubs team like he, he was getting just hit really hard I mean really hard and he, he was not fooling anyone those who uh, were fortunate enough to watch on Peacock today the third platform <laughs> in three days I, I could do a whole podcast on that but <laughs> yes. it's, it's oh, such a dis- I mean if you if you're a fan and, and you're trying to watch it especially if you have you know your older you know my father-in-law is texting me is like asking me how to do the Apple TV thing and I'm just like I, I don't even know what to tell him I mean I feel I feel really uh you know bad for people who, who pay a lot of money for for this stuff and, and can't watch it then and anyway falter uh you know they they did what they did with the rotation paul for a reason and, and it makes a lot of sense like they had falter start this game today instead of nola or instead of suarez because mm-hmm. now this means that the fifth spot which thompson after the game already said that falter will make uh his next start okay that, that's going to be against the pirates okay so the, the fifth spot is going to come up cubs pirates nationals marlins reds that's the next five that's five turns to the fifth spot and that takes us into mid-august middle of august and they did that so that he avoid they avoid using the fifth star against the braves Mm -hmm. and they avoid using the fifth star against the mets that second weekend in august so i get why they did what they did here Uh, it's a plan yeah it's a plan um i just think they need a better plan for who's making those starts agreed 
Yeah. And that's the whole problem, right? Like you look at, you look at the quad a six starter up and down churn types and you're like, okay, these guys are not a complete disaster. They're not chase Andersoning out there. Um, but they're not, not great either. They're not hopefully fully finished products. Maybe they can find another level as they continue to get experience. I'm talking of, you know, Bailey falter, Christopher Sanchez, who's, you know, also been pretty fine in his limited experience. Um, but that's about it. And I know you're not really going to use your depth starting pitcher that much. If you make it to the postseason. probably wouldn't even make the roster. I'm not necessarily no. talking about it. A lot depends on Zach Eflin. And right now it does not sound very good with his knee. Um, but if you have Wheeler, Nola, and even Gibson healthy, there's your three. You probably run a three man rotation regardless of the series length. Oh, um, yeah. And yeah. just and take your chances with that. So I'm not talking about somebody that really needs to. Would it be nice to have an upgrade over Kyle Gibson? Sure. I don't think that's what. Although they're I don't know, for. maybe Ranger makes that start. Or that's maybe Ranger Suarez. Who's, yeah. who's pitching? Who's your pitcher in Game Three, Paul? Right, right. They, I I hope to be answering that question seriously in the first week of October. I'm not going to think about that right now. Um, but those are guys you could upgrade over, right? Even if you're not, even if you're not super big fish hunting, you want to set yourself up for. Uh, and I'm talking about upgrading over the fifth starter guys, not necessarily Ranger or Gibson right now at the moment, because that's a different, that's a different level, but you want to give yourself a better chance of actually making the playoffs and having that who starts game three conversation actually take place and be relevant. And right now, if you are throwing Bailey Falter out every fifth day or so, and he's looking the way he has his last few starts, that's, that's not going to do it. If you're throwing away games to the Cubs, like they've been doing, and admittedly, they even did this with the Wheeler start on Saturday. They threw away a game they they probably should have won. They should have scraped together a go-ahead run in the eighth inning. Um, they're just not setting themselves up for success. And, and like you said a couple minutes ago, these games matter. These games right before the deadline, they matter. I, another point that you've made previously on either last week or two weeks ago, I know these teams are, are reluctant to set the market, but we're just talking about a fourth or fifth starter, man. Like we're not, you're not setting a big high bar here. You just want yeah. something better than what you currently got. We're talking, we're talking about Chad Cool and Jose Quintana, the 2022 version of Jose Quintana. Like we're not talking about breaking the bank here. There's just there are games to be won, and there's positioning to be made up. Especially now as they're losing ground to the Cardinals, who you know may wind up trading for Juan Soto in the next week and a half. Like there's the Phillies aren't going to keep up with that no matter what. But there's there's ground they have to keep. They have to keep pace here. And right now they're not doing, they're content to just let this wait and wait and wait until they get closer to the deadline and then try and figure out, I guess, what the most pressing need or two are and cobble things together or pull the trigger on something they've laid out in a span of 36 hours. Like, do you have any feeling of what this is leading toward? Are we just all in wait and see mode for the next, you know, eight days? It's going to be really funny when they face Jose Quintana uh, this weekend against the Pirates and he, and he shoves and then they trade oh, for boy. him. Oh maybe I'm just having maybe I'm just having David Robertson, uh, you know, like uh, like just uh, pain right here because uh, he ends up getting a win and a save in two days. He looks Amazing. good, man. I knew, I knew when Tampa Bay picked him up last year that he was he was coming you back healthy it, right? and he looked good anyway. Uh, is it a what are we doing here? I look at the league, Paul, and <laughs> what are, what, like are the last, what are we doing here? I don't know. I really don't. I've, I've wondered that a lot today. Uh I've looked at the league in the last 10 days. There's been three trades, I think, of major league players. Christian Bethencourt, uh, big boy Danny Vogelbach, and Michael Perez, you know, mm -hmm. a catcher who went to AAA for the Mets. 
that's it. And, and so like, you're looking at the Phillies, you know, like do something. And um, you, you could say that about, you know, a lot of teams right now, like do something. And so uh, I, I do think you'll see some action this week. I, I don't know if it's the Phillies, but I think <laughs> like, I think they're trying to decide like what, what, how far in they want to go here. Like, like Tower Maley is really interesting to me. And, and mm-hmm. I've talked to some people about him. He's a year plus control he, for the Reds. Pitcher for the yeah, Reds. Yeah, he turns twenty eight uh, at the end of this at the end of September. Uh, he's the kind of guy that that maybe you get and you try to extend him maybe for another year or two after twenty twenty three. Big big arm. He has extreme home road splits. You know his home numbers are terrible. Like get him out of Cincinnati, get him out of there. Uh, it, it would in talking though, like the Reds want like two top prospects for him. And like, so they're trying to capitalize. If you, if you try to do, if you try to do Logan O'Hoppy straight up for Tower Maley, I don't think it, it it's not going to get done. Okay, that's my understanding. Okay, and uh, and right and rightfully so. I mean, like they have the two best, arguably. I, I honestly, the more I looked at, it, like I probably want Maley over Montas. Like I think I have, I think the Reds have the two best available starting pitchers right now. Oh, interesting. Uh, Castillo and Maley. Because Frankie Montas and is a nice player too. He is. He is. And if the Dodgers don't get Soto, I think the Dodgers get Castillo. Mm. And 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 I don't know what's going to happen with Maley. It's possible Maley doesn't get dealt. Like the Reds have told teams, my understanding is they've told teams that like they 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 don't have to. They don't feel like they have to trade both. Mm. Castillo is getting traded. Like I think that's that's pretty clear uh, in the so, industry. Yeah. That's the expectation mm. in the industry. Maley, mm. they're less sure about, but like they're you know teams are asking about Maley and, and definitely has been uh, brought up in talks. So. I don't know, like outside of him though, then there really isn't, you know, you're looking at the fifth star type. And I think the way they look at it, Paul is like, I don't know that they have one guy rated, you know, met leaps and bounds over the others. So they're like, let's just see, you know, which guy we can, we can get for the price that we like. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. I I don't know that there's a separation between, you know, a lot of the other guys. I I think, Alongside all of this, and and that, all that's very reasonable and, and feels very realistic, I, I feel like there is a decent chance that there is something, maybe it's not even cooking, maybe it's not even in the oven, something creative and different that we haven't thought of yet. I'm not going to rule that out. No. You know, I'm yeah, I'm not thinking like blockbuster. They're past, they're past think, the luxury tax. Like there's, yeah. they, they, before they operated with constraints, every deadline before this, they did. And whether or not they wanted to say they did, they did. They don't have that this year. No. And and I think that's why, you know, even despite the 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 lay of the land right now and the way things look um cosmetically, it doesn't look all that exciting. And I, it might turn out that way. Okay, fine. That that's okay. This is a team that needs a lot of work well into the winter if they make their way into the postseason this year. Great. I think with a couple of strategic, interesting uh moves, they probably could position themselves a little better. But there's, pro- I even hesitate to say probably because my my math brain is is yelling at me. I think there's a decent chance something just that makes us go, oh, okay, didn't consider that, gets sprung on us before next week. I I, I I've learned mm-hmm. to like not pull any of that out, and like especially when when it's Dombrowski, like maybe in the Quintech years, you. you you know, you had a better idea to, to rule something like that out. Mm-hmm. You know, they did try to trade for Manny Machado that one year. It was not. That's right. Donis Medina. A modest attempt, I think. Oh, God. Yeah. Donnie Medina. <laughs> Who's I now mean, locking it, F1, it down for F1 the Mets. F1 was in that. F1 was in the. I mean, like, honestly, that was not. It was not close. 
it, it mm-hmm. was not close. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not ruling it out. I I, I just think like I think they're kind of they are handcuffed a little bit because like mm-hmm. th- there isn't a big plate there isn't a spot to make a huge splash, right? I mean like your big splash is Segura and Harper and like right that you know I'm sure that's how it'll be sold. Like, yeah, yeah, and like I know you don't want to hear that. People don't hear that. that is the big splash. The biggest splash you can make is 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 with a pitcher and uh you know maybe maybe it's a reliever maybe maybe we've totally uh underplayed you know they go out and get a big guy to to pitch in the late innings along with Dominguez in hand and hand you know couldn't finish the inning the other night I just really think he's gonna turn into a pumpkin Uh, I, I really really do Dominguez, though, like the inning that, um, you know, the game that you were at, Paul, that inning that he threw, I, I watched Fantastic. it on video because oh. I, I I just was going through the box score and I saw the the Max Velo and I was like, oh, I kind of want to watch this inning, how he threw. Uh, that was as good of an inning as I've seen a Phillies pitcher throw uh, ever. I, I was on the side view of him and I could still tell that he was absolutely <laughs> I mean, cooking. He was amazing. Crap. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, he had like a, a, a plus plus slider and he's throwing 101 and it's like, wow. Um so encouraging there but maybe we're underplaying you know that they're they're you know what they're looking at in the bullpen uh because brogdon and canable have been okay you know set up guys as righty set up guys but it wouldn't hurt to get another guy back there and maybe that's the way you address your rotate you know you the back end of your rotation is you just get more relievers uh, uh maybe that hasn't been their approach, though, because they have, you know, they, they've pushed their starters and it's worked. So Right. And but here's like a real example that is tangible and that we can kind of use as a basis here. Remember the Jose Alvarado trade in late 2020? Like nobody really saw that coming. Tampa Bay, uh, you know, had been working with Alvarado for a couple of years and he would he had been injury prone. His shoulder was a little bit bulky. Is that a the Phillies picked him up for Derek Clevenger, you know, like oh, that was off season, right? Yeah, yeah, late 2020. Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, it, yeah, the timing yeah, was different. Yeah, I got you. But yeah, yeah, unexpected. I got you. I got you. Yeah. Um, and that's what I'm talking about. Like, maybe not, you know, a surprise ace getting dealt. I think by this point, we all kind of have a feel for who the top guys at every position who could be available are. But something along those lines where you're just like, well, I never considered that the Phillies would trade for that guy who pitched in the playoffs for the Rays, you know? And that's when they actually came out in front on, at least right now. Derek Clevenger hasn't really done too much. Um, so I, was still like on, I was still keeping an eye on Michael Taylor. Uh, uh, Kansas City, the outfielder, not yeah, the, he's not the outfield former prospect from twelve uh, years the, ago, not the former Phillies Michael Taylor, <laughs> now the, the high draft pick, now Michael A. Taylor. Uh, Michael A. Taylor, uh, he, he's not a lefty hitter, but uh, he he does a lot of interesting things. He's signed for next year. Uh, I, I would just keep an eye. I don't know. Um, okay, he he kind of fits. Uh, okay. And again, because of the money, like he is owed a little bit of money and that is not, uh, not as much of a, a hindrance as it was in previous years when they were like, you know, 500 grand from reaching the luxury tax barrier. And they're like, well, we can't add any money. So, sure. you know, here's, uh, you know, here's Spencer Howard, but, uh, <laughs> Texas is problem now. Um, all right. So I, I think oh, there was a Spencer Howard Cole Irvin matchup earlier this week. That's that's right. There was and Cole Irvin pitched what into the eighth, seven innings, yeah. eight strikeouts, yeah. one walk, something like that. He was, yeah. he was really good. Yeah. Go figure. Um, OK, so that's that's setting the table, at least a little bit. I, I think we'll have a better idea of what's coming by this time next week. Again, I'll reiterate maybe personally. There, maybe there have been a trade. Yeah, I, I would. I would love for it. 
this is the impatience in me, I think, coming up a little bit, but I'm, I, I do think it's a little bit justified in that the fifth, the fifth starter spot could really be a killer. You don't, you don't want to throw away another one of these, you know, should have won game. Like they should have, they should have taken one from the Cubs. Probably should have been Saturday I, if we want to get pricky, but like, ugh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to keep trusting the guys they currently have in the fifth starter spot this year with those games. It just feels a little too tenuous. I already know why. I already know why they committed to falter for the start on Friday. And I, I've been meaning to ask somebody this, like they sent Chris Sanchez out on the 15th. They, they optioned him and you have to stay down 15 days now. Uh-huh. And that was a really bad decision because I think they would have preferred him to start today. Mm. And then the next one, which is the 29th, which is Friday. That's He's right, not but... going to, he can't come back until the 30th. The 29th is his 15th day. That's right. That's one of those slight rule tweaks bad. for this Ross, year. It's not 10 days they, anymore. I don't know. That strikes me as uh, poor roster management. I know they were optimistic about Eflin at the time they sent Sanchez out, but. Uh, That's probably what it was, of, right? Kind of weird. Bit. Yeah, kind of weird. And the 13 pitcher limit obviously forces you to make some decisions that you might not have wanted to make before. But uh, I know that Sanchez is a guy they like, and, and I think they would. Uh, if they had to flip a coin, I think Sanchez, they would prefer him pitching these games over Falter. So I need to ask about that on Monday. I forgot to I, ask about that. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I, I have some I have some slight misgivings about Sanchez as he currently exists, but I'll I'll leave those for another time. I'll let him actually pitch a little Let's bit. Let's do a whole podcast on Chris, on Chris Sanchez. Yeah, baby. Um, no, I, I, I don't feel super confident in him. I'm glad they're high on him. They traded freaking Curtis Mead to get him. Um, well, I mean, so high he, end of being that, like he's a capable major league pitcher. Like, right. It, it, yeah, I'll take that. Who, I think there's people in the organization who really want to see him uh, in a full-time reliever role. Uh, and, and he'll probably get there in 2023. But uh, right now, because of the lack of depth, like, you know, mm-hmm. they had to keep using him as a starter. And if you recall, like earlier the season, you know, Thompson used him in a big spot, right? Late in the game uh, as a, as a traditional reliever. Am I misremembering that? Uh, like looking they, back they at his game them. log, he closed out uh, a game in Arizona that the Phillies won four nothing. But I'm I'm looking at final scores. I don't remember the situation there. I, I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah, okay. There was a, he got a hold in a Giants game, seventh inning uh-huh. of a, of a close game. Yeah, there that was a, there it. was like a little stretch there where he was pitching, you know, like with leads and mm-hmm. and like you know relatively. Uh, yeah, he came in the seventh inning up by one. Up by uh, one and left. And, yeah, you're and, right. In Joe's last game, so that wasn't Thompson. I'm sorry, that was Joe's last game. And then, right, and then he had a nice, he had a nice appearance uh, in the Angel series. Came in with the man on, two out. The Phillies were trailing at the time, and then he got them through that inning and the seventh as well, before they mounted a comeback. So that he at least held that down, even though it was a deficit. We're doing our Chris Sanchez podcast, you know, like yeah, but like, see, this is the... all right. Brief tangent here. I was going to wrap up like five minutes ago, but this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. Like that's, that that's nice. That's fine. That that's okay. I, I don't, I, I can't see myself feeling comfortable leaning on that for the stretch. And ev- every start just keeps being that much more important. I, yeah. I get the people in the order high on him. I, my thing that I was just talking about is I, I think he could be a better fit as a reliever because Lord knows the Phillies need competent left-handed relief. Um, but right now, man, I, yeah. And uh, also like a fifth star is a fifth star, but I think the reason why we're talking about is, this is because they is. already have a fifth starter. Like that's Kyle Gibson mm. or Ranger Suarez. I, mm. Like, right. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's, I, it's I, I, like, 
Yeah. Two ones and then shrug. <laughs> yeah. Two ones and then three, three fours and fives, you know, or, or three guys who you would put on the four or five line and, and, yeah. and, and maybe being generous, you know, uh, on that too. So, uh, yeah, we're quibbling. We're not going to get the, you know, the 2011 rotation. That's not going to be duplicated, no. but I think you'd like a little more in the middle there and get just a little, just a little more. And then ideally, Segura and Harper come back and maybe even Camargo for the bench and everything's hunky dory and we stop worrying about run production and we we get the, the big the ticket team. hitters. He just out. doesn't play. He's What's active. That? Camargo's active. He just doesn't play. Oh, see, I totally missed that. Yeah, I mean like he just he they, they don't I don't know, they don't need him right now. I don't know. I guess they do, but Nick Maton is still on rehab. That's weird. He needs yeah, to be dude, activated. What, dude, what about this isn't weird, right? Everything is weird. Everything right is now. weird. Everything is weird. God. Okay. Uh, well, everything is weird. I'm actually going to wrap up now. Um, <laughs> I'm actually going to bring this to a close because uh, there's a lot to do, but not much more we can say about it right now. Um, there's trades to be made, deals to be had. Phillies have room for improvement. They are not out of the playoff race, but they need to act like it. Uh, they need to stop losing series to the Cubs. I'm looking at you with those upcoming Nationals and Pirate series and yeah. hopefully scraping out a win against the Braves. That would really be nice. Um, York's been a tough place for them. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it, at, at this point, you're not feeling as great as you were going into the All-Star break. Things have definitely uh, uh, skidded and thudded with this sweep at the hands of the Cubs. But as but they no say in baseball, yeah. tomorrow's a new day. It's a new and series. I feel like every pod that we've had, it's just like goes back and forth, right? Every week, it just is a, is a is the opposite feeling of the of the week before. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It's really good for mental health, honestly. It, it's really good for feeling like <laughs> it's really good for feeling like you're just watching a normal team for once. Nothing about this team is normal. Nothing. Uh, so we'll see what abnormal thing they do between uh, now and this time next week. Have a good week, Paul. Yeah, you too, Matt. Hang in there. Uh, and we'll see all you out there, uh, hopefully, with a couple of trades in our pocket and uh, a little bit more competitive baseball to talk about. See you, everybody.